And if you have a Bible uh, this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in Mark chapter number 6. But we are, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, moving through the, through the Gospels this morning and then come back to Mark chapter number 6 and talk this morning. I think something that would be relevant to most of us in this room, if not every single one of us in this room, when we're in the storm. When we're in the storm. We all face the storms of life. Some of you, some of us in the church family, many in our community are, are in a storm currently. Some, those, some people are very aware that you're in a storm. Others of you, it's very quiet and you haven't let anybody know. As, as we've seen on our prayer wall these last couple of weeks, someone put a few weeks ago that they are suffering terribly, but nobody knows. I would encourage you. Our church family wants to walk with you, wants to point you to Jesus. Not that you have to share anything that you don't want to, but we would love to be a part of the comfort that Christ brings during the storm. Others of you are coming out of a storm that you've been in, whether it's a job situation, uh, loss of someone. Others of you have uh, recently recovered from sickness, and Katrina, we're so glad that you're here uh, and back again with us this morning. Others in this room have no idea but a storm is waiting for you. It's there. And it's coming. And regardless of who you are in this room, we've all faced some type of storm over these last two and a half years. And then the question is, as Christians, what do we do? And so often we turn to God in prayer, but what do we pray? Most often we pray for the storm to be removed from our lives. Lord, just like you did when Jonah was thrown overboard, calm Lord, when you raised your hands, you brought peace. That's what we want. But I want to ask you this morning, what if the purpose of Jesus showing up in the storm is not to calm your storm? What if he has a greater purpose than to calm the waves and to stop the wind and to make the storm cease? What if there's a a greater purpose. In just a moment, we're going to read in Mark chapter number six, where, where Jesus walks on the water to his disciples who are in the midst of a storm. Hours before these disciples find themselves in the storm, though, they're with Jesus at another miraculous moment when he feeds the 5,000. And so they're going from truly what we would consider a mountaintop experience this miracle of Jesus that is probably one of the best-known miracles. And just hours later, they find themselves in a storm, fearing for their life, being tossed around, having no idea of the future. Mark chapter number 6, if you would, we'll begin in verse number 45. I'm going to read through verse, number 40, or through verse 52. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, the Bible says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, which he dis while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
He meant to pass by them, but when they saw them walking, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him walking on the I'm sorry, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. They got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In this passage, you find just some, some interesting truths that like in the, midst, in the midst of the wind and the waves and the storm, the disciples who had just been with Jesus and who knew Jesus very well, they didn't recognize him until he spoke to them. That, that just really caught me. Like they had just been with him and they knew him intimately well. And yet when he showed up, they didn't recognize him until he spoke to them. I also find very interesting that when Jesus arrived, he didn't immediately calm the storm. Instead of calming the storm, he offered peace in the storm. Yes, as we see, he does eventually calm the storm, but he doesn't do it as soon as we see him. He does it in his timing and in his own way. But we also see that the storms brought great terror to the disciples, but they didn't bring any fear to Jesus. And that, that's an important point we'll come back to, where these disciples were terrified, but not Jesus. But then, ultimately, the storm served a purpose. It served a purpose in the lives and especially in the hearts of the, of the disciples, because here's what this storm did. After the storm calmed, which eventually every storm in your life will come to a calm. I don't know what your storm is, and I don't know where you're, where you're fighting, but, but the storm will calm down. And after the storm calms, two things are going to be revealed, just like we see here. First, you're going to clearly see the person of Jesus. But also, you're going to see the true condition of your heart. You're going to clearly see the person of Jesus, but we're also going to see the condition of, of our hearts. Now, interestingly, this miracle is recorded in three of the other Gospels, and, and each offers a unique perspective. And what I want to do is I want to go to each Gospel that, that shares this miracle, take out one or two little points, and then come back to Mark chapter 6 and, and, uh, and, and really understand what we read here. So would you join me in Matthew 14 for just a moment? Matthew Chapter number 14. So in Matthew 14, I'm going to read verse 22, and then I'm going to skip because much of it is, is what we just read in Mark 6. So Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 14, verse 22, the Bible says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So we see we're reading the same event look at verse 27 if you would but immediately jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is i do not be afraid so we see very clearly i'm sorry um tommy i don't I, something's just not right on here and i'm i don't know, know if it has anything to do with you uh, uh anything to do with that but i'm just a little bit confused 
So I'm so sorry. Like when I'm looking at, looking at the, the, the words. Verse 27, again, Matthew 14, verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So we see this description in Matthew, which is a very similar description of Mark. But now here's what we find. After Jesus says, take heart, it is I, we don't see Jesus going immediately to the boat. Instead, Matthew shows a different element. Peter calls out to Jesus. Look at verse number 28. It says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I really feel for Peter. I know Peter's, got, Peter's the guy that in the, in, the, in the Gospels, he's that disciple that is quick to speak, kind of puts his foot in the mouth a, a lot, and, and I find myself in that position uh, as well. But, but like, here's what, I love this about Peter. He, he says, if it's you, let me have permission to walk to you. And Jesus simply said, come. Like, we gotta understand, he's not, Jesus isn't commanding Peter to come to him. He's inviting Peter come but forget don't forget this the storm hasn't stopped yet the storm doesn't stop until jesus gets into the boat so as jesus is outside of the boat and peter says i want to walk on the water and jesus invites him and says come peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk but then he sinks and the question is why does he sink and and and, and i know that that probably for for many of us we understand that what well, says that he, he took his eyes off the Lord, right? He began to look at the, the storm around him, became scared. And I know that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus in the storm. No question about that. That is a truth we have to take from this. But what if that's not the reason Peter sank? I think it's amazing that Peter was the only person other than Jesus to walk on the water. But don't you think Jesus knew what was going to happen to Peter when he said, come? And so what if this, what if this whole storm was not meant to reveal Peter's faith or Peter's glory but what if this storm was meant to reveal Jesus' glory alone? Like, what if the storm was, was never intended to show Peter's glory, but rather to show Peter's humanity and Jesus' glory as, as if Jesus is the only one who can walk on stormy waters without fear or worry. And I mean, I, I applaud Peter that he took steps on water to walk to Jesus. But the, the reality is, Peter was never created to walk on water. Jesus walked on water. You know why Jesus could walk on water? Because as the book of Job says, that God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God walks on water. We don't. So when we're, when we're in a storm, I think it's, it's very important for us to remember our, our humanity. 
We, we weren't intended to walk on the stormy waters of our life. We were intended to be reminded of our frailty, our humanity, our weakness, and His power, and His glory, not to rely on our own strength. See, when Jesus shows up in the storm, it's, it's not about Peter seeing how strong he is. It's about Peter realizing how strong Jesus is. Is. That's one of the reasons that we have these storms is so that he can be revealed for who he truly is. My, I remember my mom, when I was just a young boy, my mom telling me that she stood at the casket of her mom. And my, my grandfather, my mom's father, died when she was very young, and so she was raised by her mom. And, and when she was standing at the casket of her mom, she said, I remember, Brian, somebody touched me on the shoulder. And I turned to look to see who it was, and there was no one there. You, you could say anything you want to, but you would not convince my mom that that was not a touch of God. Reminding her, I'm here. And I'm with you. But it happened at a death. Before we leave this portion of Matthew, I, I, I want to point out the interaction, the, the, the statements that Jesus and Peter shared with one another. Look at verse number 30, if you would. It says that when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Oh. Oh, when, when Peter sank, what did he do? He, he cried out, Lord, Lord, I recognize my condition and I look to you alone as, as the only Savior, that, the only one that can save me. And oh, isn't that just a beautiful picture of what salvation is? I mean, we get to baptize Kinley today because you know what Kinley realized at one point in her life? Save myself. Lord, save me. That's it. That's what salvation is. I, I can't save myself. Reach out to me. And, and Jesus does. But notice what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Like, I don't know about you, but to me it seems like Peter's the one of great faith. Like the guys in the boat who didn't say, hey, can I do that? They seem to be the ones of little faith. But Jesus, he knows Peter's heart. He knows everything about Peter. And he tells this man who steps onto the water to come out to him and sinks. He says, you have little faith. But don't let that discourage you. Let that be an encouragement to your heart. Someone with little faith walked on water. Someone with little faith was saved by the hand of Jesus, right? Which, which tells us it is the object of our faith is far more important than the amount of our faith. Was it the faith, the, the, the size, the if a grain of mustard seed can, can move mountains, you know what that's supposed to tell us? It doesn't matter about how much faith you have. It's who's your faith in. Because it just takes a little bit of faith in a great and mighty God to see miracles take place. And when Jesus, and when Peter cries out with his little faith to the object of greatness, 
be saved. May I encourage you in your storm? You may say, but I don't have much faith to pray. Oh, it's not about your faith. It's, it's about who your faith is in. He's the one that will save you. Don't, don't try to doggy paddle in the storm. Reach out to the one who's walking on the water in the storm. And before we leave Matthew, look, look, look at verse 32 and verse 33. It says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, right? So that we already saw that in Mark. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Here, again in Matthew, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Whew. So it's revealed, right? What did the storm do? The storm revealed who Jesus is truly. You are the son of God. And what was the result of that revelation and that recognition? Worship of God. You understand without the storm, there is no worship. But you know what we pray for so often? Get rid of the storm. But what if the purpose of the storm? What if the purpose of Jesus showing up in the storm is not to calm the storm, but to reveal who he is and who you are and lead us in our humanity to fall in worship of his divinity? And I think regardless of whether we're in a storm of life right now if we understood what we have been saved from with our little bit of mustard seized face mustard mustard seed size faith sorry if we realize what we've been saved from when when jesus reached down to us man there's not a, there's not a way we could stand in a room like this when we're singing songs like aaron leads us about Jesus, how do our hearts not just overflow with love and worship to realize who he is, what he has saved us from that we truly deserve? So could it possibly be that the storm you're in today has a purpose to reveal to you the power of your Savior? But the book of John also shares this miracle. And the book of John adds two small little details that I want to pull out and then, then run back to Mark. So if you would join me in John chapter number six. In John chapter number six, we, we just get one little glimpse of, of Jesus that the others don't offer. So I know I told you that we, they have just... Jesus has just performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And Matthew, if we would have gone all the way to the front of Matthew 14, we would have also seen that another event just, just took place, and that was the death of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was not just Jesus' cousin, but it was his, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who was pointing people to the, to the Lamb of God and the one who baptized Jesus. And Jesus, upon hearing of John's death, he, he tries to escape to a mountain, but people see him, and so they gather to him, and that's where he feeds the 5,000. And so understand what's taking place in Jesus' life. He is, he's been grieving over the loss of a friend, 
He's been feeding 5,000. And then if you look at verse number 15, notice what Jesus is also faced with. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, just, just fed the 5,000, come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He came out of the mountain because he had fed the 5,000. He sends his disciples away. He wants to go back to the mountain, but the people want to make him king. But Jesus knows it's not my time. I didn't come here to be king. I came here to be a servant. I didn't come here to rule. I came here to give my life as a sacrifice. Oh, Jesus rules today. He's on the throne today, but that's not why he came to earth the first time. So then you look at John verse 16, 6, 16, sorry, John chapter 6, verse 16. It, it says, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rolled three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. So this, this one, one detail that we see is that they are three to four miles from shore. So we'll come back to that. But then in verse number 20, it says, But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Now get, now get this next statement. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Whew. I would think like Matthew and Luke would want to include that detail because that's pretty cool. And Jesus gets in the boat and the wind ceases, and then immediately the boat's at the land. Like, and, and here's what I love. Here's what, here's what I, I love about that. Like this is the compassion of Jesus. I know you guys have been out here toiling all night long. Now that I'm here, you can rest. No more toiling to get to the end of to, to get across the sea. Even though the sea is now calm, they don't have to row one more time. Jesus takes that boat right to the other side. Like, is, is that not just the most beautiful picture of salvation? How hard do we try to get to God on our own? We just row and row and row. And yet when we finally, when Jesus comes and he shows up and we turn to him and we trust him, the destination is done. You don't have to row one more time. You don't have to swim. Jesus takes care of it all. He, he, he not only calmed the wind and the waves, he became the way for the disciples to reach their destination. It doesn't, doesn't mean their labor wasn't necessary, and I don't want you to think it's not important for us to, to do good works, but our good works is not taking us to the destination. Our good works is because of Jesus becoming the way to the Father for us. I know some people in this room, you feel like your wheels are spinning and all you can do is to keep the boat afloat right now. Just remember, when Jesus shows up, it'll all be good. And he's rarely early. Like he doesn't come before the storm gets bad. He's rarely early but he's never late. How he shows up right on time.
And I promise every one of you that's gone through a storm, you can testify to that statement. Oh, there were things I would never have wanted, but without those, I'm not who I am today. So God knew I needed that. He came right on time. So can we take that now and run back to Mark and let's finish this. Mark chapter six is where we began. So it's where we're gonna end. Mark chapter six, verse 45 is where we started. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and, and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And so, so far, we've already seen these details in every one of the Gospels. But, but now, notice verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Just pause for just a moment. He what? He saw. Do you remember John told us they were three to four miles away from shore? Do you remember what time it was? It was at night, so it was dark. And do we know what was happening? There was a storm. We got a storm, we got darkness. And we have a distance of three to four miles, but our Bibles tell us that Jesus saw his disciples. Wow. I don't know about you, but that brings me amazing comfort. He's not just aware. He, he sees. You mean Jesus sees what I'm going through? <laughs> yeah. But it seems like he's not showing up. I'm, I mean, I'm barely surviving. He knows. He knows. He knows right where you are. He knows you're three to four miles away. He knows it's dark and he knows the storm that you're in. And he will not leave you alone because what does Jesus do? Look, look at verse 48. It says, and when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's three to six a.m., about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea okay like there's a there's beauty in this right that jesus comes to his disciples in the storm but there's a bit of humor in here you got 12 guys who are rowing as hard as they can in a boat with the wind the bible says is contrary so it's blowing against them as they're trying to row and jesus comes strolling along So Jesus walks three to four miles faster than those guys, 12 of them, can row in a boat. I just, I just find that a little bit humorous that these 12 guys, they're all fishermen, and they're, or not all of them, but they're, they're, many of them are, are toiling. They, they're very aware of it, and they're working as hard as they can. And Jesus strolls over the tops of these waves, and, and he catches now, how could he do that if the wind was contrary? Because the winds don't blow contrary to their creator. They bow to their creator. The world around us was created by the God we worship. 
You know what that means? He's in absolute control of every single dimension of our lives. And if he wants to walk against the wind, the wind gets out of his way. And if he wants to walk on the water, the water is no longer liquid, or maybe it is, I don't know, but he can walk on that water. And as the storms blow, and he says, as he did in Mark chapter 4, for the wind to cease, it just stops. I love that. That's our God. That's who we were just singing about. The one who not just is the Lord of our lives, he's the Lord of all of creation. He's in me and I'm in him. That's good news. But there's one bit of this verse that concerns me. That they were making headway painfully for the wind was against him and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. I'm sorry, where am I? I, Sorry, I gotta find it to show you. He came to them walking on the sea and I left it out. It says this, he meant to pass by them. And I don't know what, what, what translation you're reading, but you'll see near the end of verse 48, it talks about how Jesus, it says he meant to pass by them. Well, wait a second. Okay, now this is problematic because if Jesus sees our condition and he walks to us without any inhibition on, on, that, on the seas, in the storm, but he's going to pass by, that's a problem. Why would Jesus pass by? Why would God pass by? And it seems probable because if you read what it says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. He didn't speak to them until they cried out in terror. Was he going to pass by? Has God ever passed by anyone else before? Yeah. In Exodus... Moses, who spent a great deal of time with God on the top of Mount Sinai. He says, I want to see your glory. Please show me your glory. And the Lord says, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a rock and I'm going to put my hand over you. and I'm going to pass by. I'm going to put you in a rock and, and I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, you're going to see my glory. And I'll proclaim my name to you. Which is exactly what happens in in Exodus chapter number 34. Let me read it to you. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Here is the name that God is. The Lord. The Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I apologize, the verse got cut off. That's my fault. But then after God proclaims his name, guess what the result is? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. The glory of God passes by 
The name of God is proclaimed and therefore the worship of God takes place. Here in Exodus, we see this as the glory of God passes by Moses as he's in the rock. You know who the rock of our salvation is, right? Jesus and the cleft rock, the one whose flesh was torn. So we would have a way to God. And this name of God that is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But in that name, it says that he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but by who will no means clear the guilty. Wait, like you, how do you have those two? How can you forgive sin and iniquity and transgression, but by no means clear the guilty? How? One word, Jesus. In Jesus, sin is forgiven. And sin is justly cared for in Jesus. But I, I think what's really cool about this whole thing is that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us that, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God appears in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, So when Jesus was going to pass by, you know what that means? It means the glory of God was going to pass by those disciples. In Jesus, the world is able to see the glory of God. As I read this and study this, I never believed Jesus was intending to walk past his disciples and not help them. His purpose in walking by his disciples passing by his disciples was so that they would see the glory of god you may sometimes feel like jesus i've been in this storm forever and you see it and you know it and it seems like you're just walking right past me maybe so that you'll see the glory of God. But when the disciples called out to him, do you know what he did? He, well, what he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. In the literal Greek, Jesus was saying, don't fear. The I am is here. God's glory passed by. And the name of God was proclaimed. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah shares to a nation distress. Thus now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The glory of God passes by in the storm. The name of God is proclaimed in the storm and it all ended as Matthew 14 showed us with the worship of God in the storm but if you look closely at the ending of Mark and I'm almost done I'm sorry you look closely at the ending of Mark this is this is what this is what it, it reads got in the boat with them and the wind ceased that's that's wonderful 
And they were utterly astounded. Now get this. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What do the loaves have to do with this miracle? The glory of God passes by. The name of God is proclaimed. The worship of God takes place, but their hearts are still at a place where they're like, we're just astounded. Why are you astounded? Well, because we didn't yet understand the loaves. What? Yeah, I think it's simple. If we really saw the miraculous way God has worked in our past, does miracles in our present. I think it's the idea that I just fed 5,000 people. Does that not show you I'm God? If I'm God, I can walk on the waters because I created the waters. How does that leave you astounded? And my only encouragement is this. If you have seen the faithfulness of God in the past, that is meant to assure you of the faithfulness of God today and in your future. I'm saying, well, why hasn't he calmed the waters of my life yet? I can't answer that question. But he can. He knows why. Because he shows up on time. But the storm is not meant, wasn't brought for you just to be calm. The storm was meant so that his glory could be shown to you. So that his name could be proclaimed to you. That he was the one who was forgiven our sin, but not releasing the guilt. He poured it out on Jesus, which should lead us to worship. If you're in a storm today, stay faithful. Because we'll see the reason for those storms either here on earth or one day when we reach heaven. And I plan to share this today at the, at the funeral, but I know some of you won't be there. But Jay, I was at the, the family's home on Thursday, got to spend some time with them, and Jay told me how Jennifer came to salvation. Jennifer had a dear aunt whose name was Connie, very, they were very close, and, and Aunt Connie died at the age of 47 of cancer. Connie was a believer. And as Jennifer watched Connie suffer through her cancer and then received a piece of furniture that was Connie's, that was given to Jennifer, that had a drawer in it that was still filled with Connie's stuff, one of the items in this drawer was a tract by Billy Graham. Jennifer, having, at the age of 18, having watched her aunt suffer, but suffer valiantly with cancer, and open up a drawer and take out a trap and read that in our sin we are separated from God. But that God loved us so much, He sent His Son Jesus to to take our sins upon himself and give us his perfect righteousness to make a way to the Father. Jennifer, in, in watching the testimony of her aunt 
and reading the witness of this track at that moment with that track in her hand, she placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Jay says this at the kitchen table. How can I be mad at God that he took Jennifer with cancer at 45? It took Connie dying of cancer at 47 for me to know that my wife is sitting at the feet of Jesus and will be there for all of eternity. When he said that, here's what, here, that was about the glory of God. He saw the glory of God in the storm. And no doubt God was proclaiming his name to Jay, reminding him that your wife is with me because of who my son is. And it led that man to sit across from me and say, how can I be mad at God? My wife's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Grief, oh yes. A storm, absolutely. But the glory of God and the name of God and the worship of God is what that storm is all about. And the same is true for your storm, wherever you are. It'll calm. It will calm. It will calm one day. But it's all about his glory and his worship. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for... Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you just continue to pour out your love and grace on us. Thank you for this beautiful display this morning of getting to see Kinley baptized as we recognize and rejoice that she's placed her faith and trust in you. Lord, we know that little girl is going to face storms in her life just as every single person in this room will. But those storms... God, those storms are where you show up to, to reveal to us who you are and who we are. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of the salvation that only you can bring. And the, the gospel is not just about getting us to heaven. The gospel is about conforming us to your image, falling at your feet, and surrendering all that we are to you. So, Lord, I pray that as, as much of this church, as many here struggle through the storms that they're facing, Lord, may we, may we see your glory as it passes by. Lord, may we hear the name of God, the name that says you are the one who forgives iniquity and transgression and, and sin, yet does not clear the guilty. And, Lord, may that point us to Jesus. And as we recognize that, God, may we, may we as a church, may we as individuals, may we as families just worship, just worship you. Lord, this, this church needs you desperately. Many are sinking. Lord, save us. Yes, our faith is little, but our God is great. Lord, save us. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, it's, it's just like what Peter did. Reach out. Lord, save me. 
and, and he will. If you're here today and you're struggling through a storm, oh, may you be so encouraged. He's not going to leave you alone. The storm is serving a purpose. And it's all about his glory. Would you just take just a moment and would you think of someone who's in the storm right now? And would you ask God, would you cry out to God, not on your behalf, but cry out to God on their behalf, that, that his glory is clearly seen? That his name is proclaimed. And that through the storm, through the working of God in that storm, worship comes. Would you, would you ask the Lord what he wants you personally to do for that person? How, how we can help feed the hungry, give water to those who are thirsty, and clothes to those who are naked. How we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those who are in the storm. And if you don't know Jesus, I'll be at the back doors. I would love to share with you how you can know Jesus is your personal Savior. He is your way. You don't have to toil. He's made the way. Father, you know the hearts. You know the storms that are raging in some of the hearts. Would you remind them of your presence? You're not going to pass by them and leave them alone. You're going to pass by them to see the glory of God. May we be reminded that if you would give your own son for our salvation, there is nothing that you wouldn't do for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He would deliver up his own son for us. What good thing would he withhold from us? God, it's all about your glory. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the salvation that you offer us and the peace in the storm that is ours 